You're listening to Brains On from NPR News and Southern California Public Radio. We're serious about being curious. I'm Molly Bloom. Glass is pretty amazing stuff. It's transparent and strong, beautiful and breakable. It can be used to make windows, bottles, screens, lenses, cups, speakers, aquariums, marbles, beads. It's even making this music. That's a glass harmonica, an instrument invented by Ben Franklin. It uses rotating glass bowls and water to make music. Since glass is such a big part of our lives, it makes sense that lots of you have written in with questions about it. Seven-year-old Audrey from Cortland, Nebraska, asks what a lot of you want to know. My question is, how do they make glass? The first thing I can tell you about how glass is made, it is hot. Really hot. I'm a heat person, so I like the heat. No, the heat isn't as fun. Bria and her sister Bryn know all about the heat. Bria is into it, and Bryn, not so much. Their friend Eliza agrees. You just get really tired and sweaty and gross really fast. The glass is surprisingly heavy, but once you get used to it, it's not that heavy. I met the three girls at Foci Minnesota Center for Glass Arts. They were learning how to make glass and how to shape it into things like cups and sculptures. When I met them, they were making paperweights. But why was it so stinking hot in there? Well, it's all because of the ingredients. Glass is made up of minerals mined from the Earth's crust. The main ingredient is silica sand. And in order to change that sand into glass, it needs to melt. But there's a problem with silica on its own. It has a very high melting point. It's close to 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That is really difficult to melt in a furnace. Catherine Wyzorek knows a lot about glass. She's a science educator at the Corning Museum of Glass in New York. She says there's a way to lower the melting point of silica sand. If you add sodium carbonate, also called soda ash, into the mix, the melting point is lowered to about 2,300 degrees. Still very, very hot, but not quite as hot as 4,000 degrees. The last ingredient is the limestone. So limestone is another mineral that is mined out of the ground, and it has calcium in it. And the calcium helps the sodium and the silica kind of all stay together. Without the calcium, it would be really unstable. It would be really prone to weathering and the glass would just kind of deteriorate. The calcium kind of acts like an emulsifier. So if you've ever made homemade salad dressing, you'll have oil and vinegar, and then you have to add something else because those two things don't want to stick together. So that's kind of what the calcium does. This kind of glass, the kind that's made out of silica, soda ash, and limestone, is called soda lime glass and is the most prevalent kind of glass made today. It also kind of sounds like a delicious drink, one that would be very refreshing in that hot glass-making environment. So how does a mix of minerals that looks like sand turn into smooth, clear glass? When the silicon dioxide atoms that make up silica sand start out, they have a very uniform, crystalline structure. Molecules, line up! We're lying, Sarge. But when we heat it way up, the bonds between the molecules are broken and the molecules get all jumbled up. It's hot in here. It's like a furnace. I'm going to go look for some ice cream. Anyone else want ice cream? Get back in line. Are you kidding? It's way too hot for that. We're just going to go about as we please. Oh, boy, it's hot. You're right. At ease. Way ahead of you. I've been lying down for five minutes already. This process is kind of like what happens with ice, which melts into water when it heats up. But unlike ice, which goes back to being ice when it cools down, 
silicon dioxide stays all jumbled. It's starting to cool down. Back in line, molecules. Are you kidding? It's way too hot. Let's just stay like this. This It's not so bad. I give up. This kind of material where the molecules are all jumbled up is known as an amorphous solid. And once glass has solidified, you can melt it again by applying heat. But it doesn't just go from solid to liquid. Glasses are different. They kind of start to soften, and then as they keep heating up and keep heating up, um, they begin to flow more and more easily. And kind of the same thing when they cool down, they go from really flowy to not as flowy to rigid. And so it's, it's, it is over like a range of hundreds of degrees Fahrenheit that this happens. As Bryn, Bria, and Eliza learned in their glassmaking class, once the molten glass is removed from the furnace, it starts cooling down quickly. So you have to work fast. It becomes too solid to work with when it goes from very, 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 very hot, around 2,700 degrees, to only very, very, very hot, around 1,300 degrees Fahrenheit. But when it's in between those two temperatures, you can work with it and shape it. Feels like honey. Oh, I thought it felt like a mush marshmallow. Marshmallow fluff, kind of. But. Yeah, it's like that. When it gets a little harder, when you when you put your tweezers onto there, it feels like glass, and then when you turn it again, it feels like marshmallows. We're going to find out more about how glass is shaped in just a minute, but first, it's time for the mystery sound. Mystery sound. Here it is. Any guesses? We'll be back with the answer right after this. Okay, Brains On listeners, you only have a couple more weeks to send in your debate topics for Sandin and Mark. They've hashed out bridges versus tunnels in the past and whether or not cats are evil or just misunderstood. Now they want your help deciding what to debate next. Fire or water, carpet or linoleum, squirrels or chipmunks. Send in your debate topics by Thursday, August 25th, We'll narrow down the list, and then you'll get to vote for your favorite. Now it's time to announce the latest group to be added to the Brains Honor Roll. These are the kids that keep us going with their questions, mystery sounds, drawings, and high fives. Alex and Kaya from Mountain View, California. Quinn and Bryn from DeLand, Florida. Sean and Caitlin from Bethesda, Maryland. Nikita from Santa Clarita, California. Greta and Kincaid from Minneapolis. Duncan from Boston. Brian from Sydney, Australia. Boaz from Beverly Hills. Riley and Michaela from Janesville, Wisconsin. Cormac from Cranston, Rhode Island. Tilly from Mobile, Alabama. Amelia, Wills, and Lib from Dothan, Alabama. Kenji from Rancho Cucamonga, California. Linus from Minneapolis. Sophia and William from Sandy Springs, Georgia. Paloma from Austin, Texas, Olivia from Maryland, Quinn from Brooklyn, Landon from West Richland, Washington, Nicholas and Joshua from Union, New Jersey, Ruby from Wynwood, Pennsylvania, Sophie from Ardmore, Pennsylvania, Jack and Cohen from Corpus Christi, Texas, Mia from Oakland, California, Taro, Ingrid, Yasmin and Hugo from Bothell, Washington, Gabriel and Emily from Pittsburgh, New York, Lillian from Monson, Massachusetts, Quincy and Gregory from Virgins, Vermont, Sella from Pacific Grove, California, Liam from Raleigh, North Carolina, Joaquin from Pleasant Hill, California, Colin and Lauren from Collinswood, New Jersey, Flora from Los Angeles, Nathaniel from Auckland, New Zealand, David from Elkins Park, Pennsylvania, Max from Louisville, Kentucky, Anna and Max from Rosendale, New York, Belle and Israel from Jacksonville, Florida, Zach, Kuba, and Maxine from Brooklyn, Sebastian from Austin, Texas, and Kylie from Middleton, Wisconsin. Praise 
Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Now back to that mystery sound. Let's hear it one more time. Any guesses? Here's the answer. Hi, my name's Jude. My name's Silas. Our mystery sound was offering lemonade in a glass. Brains on. Now back to glass. Where were we? Oh yeah, where's my random announcer, dude? Um, oh, here it is. When we last left glass, it was in a molten state. Hot flowing liquid glass in a furnace at nearly 2700 degrees Fahrenheit. Will it ever cool down? What will become of it? Maybe a tumbler? Or a window? Only time will tell. Aren't random announcer dudes the best? Anyway, I visited Kyle Feeblecorn at the Anchor Glass Factory in Shakopee, Minnesota to find out how they turn molten glass into bottles and jars. It starts with a very hot furnace. It's hot enough. The one furnace is at 2860 degrees Fahrenheit on the top side. Uh, the other furnace we run about 2760, 2770. It's 24-7 operation. I got guys that work around the clock for me. and Christmas is just, you know, it's just Wednesday. The molten glass inside the furnace is 59 inches deep. That's over 300 tons of molten glass. At the bottom of the furnace, under that deep pool of molten glass, is what is called a throat. Molten glass goes through that throat to smaller channels that condition the glass and then send it to machines where it's molded. At this point, the glass has become less liquid. It would be kind of a, like a taffy consistency. Um, comes out in cylinders, then we use what are called shear blades to cut that glass cylinder in certain sizes, depending upon uh, what the machine is making, what, what type of bottle, what size of bottle. Here's some cool bottle making lingo for you. Those smaller cylinders are called gobs. When the gob is put into a mold, a hole is pressed into the top of the bottle. That top part of the bottle is known as the finish. Once the gob has the hole pressed into it, it's then known as a parison. Air is then used to blow the parison into the shape of the mold. You have what's called the blow and blow process, and then you have the press and blow process, and then you have narrow neck press and blow process. So sometimes vacuum or plungers are used to help it along, but at its most basic, the shaping of the bottle involves blowing air. Maybe you've heard the term glass blowing. It's a technique that dates all the way back to about the year 50 BC. The Romans realized that they could actually take 
this glassy molten substance and put it at the end of a hollow tube and blow it and inflate it kind of like a balloon. So that's where glass blowing started. Before glass blowing, they were making core formed vessels, which are basically vessels where they would take a stick and the end of the stick would be covered in a core. And the core was made out of probably clay, um, maybe some horse manure and things like that. And they would dip that core into a pot of molten glass and then let it cool very slowly. And then they would scrape out the core and they would be left with a tiny little vessel, maybe can only hold an ounce or two. Humans have been making glass for 3,500 years, but nature has been at it even longer. Take obsidian, for example. It's a black glass made by volcanoes. The volcano gives off lava, and when this lava is cooled very quickly, you know, the atoms don't have time to arrange themselves into nice orderly kind of patterns. So it cools so quickly that they're kind of left all jumbled. There are also fulgurites. This is glass made by lightning strikes. So basically, lightning will strike a beach, and it melts the sand together really, really fast. And then the lightning goes away, and then the sand kind of cools really quickly, and it forms kind of a glassy structure. And then there are tektites. These are formed by meteor strikes. So in order for glass to be made from raw materials, a lot of heat is necessary. But melting down already manufactured glass takes far less energy. So glass manufacturers like Anchor like to recycle glass since it makes the process more efficient. As much glass as we can get in from the public, we'll, you know, we'll run it. Recycled glass, as well as raw materials, help supply their furnace with enough molten glass to feed the bottle and jar-making machines. And those machines are hungry. We have machines that make 400 bottles every minute. Anchor glass uses that soda-lime mix you heard about earlier. It makes a clear, colorless glass. But we can add different metal oxides to glass to give it different colors. So blue glass is made by adding cobalt oxide to the batch. Green glass is made by adding iron oxide. Manganese makes purple, and adding gold will make glass red. If you want to see glass making in action, the Corning Museum of Glass has live streams of glass blowing demonstrations. We'll post a link on our website, brainson.org. While you're there, you can also see some cool videos of the glass making machines in action at Anchor Glass, and you can find out what the code at the bottom of glass bottles and jars means. We'll also post a video of people playing this thing the glass harmonica. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Thanks to Sam Chu, Nancy Yang, Meg Martin, Peter Cox, and Phil Picardi for sharing their vocal talents. Also thanks to Kim Gazzo from Anchor Glass and Kelly Nezworski from Foci. You can send your questions, mystery sounds, and high fives anytime. Just email them to brainson at m as in Minnesota, pr.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>